I was stalking hoes in the center of town. Check it out, right here. This is Show World Center. Now, how to show it down. Welcome to Tales of Times Square, the tapes. I'm Josh Allen Friedman. In last week's episode 11, we covered Brant Theaters, the dominant movie chain across 42nd Street. Times Square was a neighborhood, but a neighborhood of the damned. We're going to be talking here with Fanny Gold, who ran a Times Square newsstand a century ago. There were over a dozen daily newspapers in New York then. But first, I want to point out the elegance and grandeur of 42nd Street a century ago, compared to the ruins it became. Movie director Frank Henenlotter made exploitation films designed to appear on 42nd Street in the 1970s and 80s. Films like Basket Case, Brain Damage, and Frankenhooker. It was a badge of honor to play 42nd Street, which he frequented as a kid in the 1960s. On a panel we did, hosted by Jeff Krulik at the New York Underground Film Festival, Henenlotter related when he finally got to see his own work on 42nd Street. He showed up to the Lyric Theater at 11 a.m. when it opened. And there he encountered a deranged woman, probably from one of the welfare hotels, who washed her laundry in the ladies' room at 11 a.m., then draped the wet clothes along the first two rows to dry. She turned them over during the second feature. She was known as the Lyric Laundry Lady. And then, at the New Amsterdam Theater, he saw a woman in the audience let loose with such diarrhea it cleared out the entire orchestra. The audience all went running up to the balcony to watch the reactions of new customers walking in below, then fleeing. Now that's entertainment. The manager ran in to see what was happening. Then he turned around and left, probably forever. Henenlotter always wore a baseball cap to Times Square because junkies vomited over the balcony. However, it was still a neighborhood. Sunday was family day, and you actually saw families enter the exploitation films on 42nd Street. But Times Square was a very different neighborhood in the early 20th century. In 1915, Fanny Gold was an eight-year-old girl who ran her father's newsstand on 42nd Street. I was born in 1907. By 1915, you had taken a job at your father's newsstand, mm -hmm. which was at? 42nd Street and 8th Avenue, in front of Jimmy Kelly's saloon. Her customers spilled out of the same theaters, the Liberty, the Eltinge, the Republic, and George M. Cohan's Harris Theater. But there was no diarrhea 
or vomiting junkies and ladies doing their laundry. It was all carriage trade, tuxedos and tails, gowns and jewels, gentry emerging from horse carriages and trolley cars. Fanny Gold lived in poverty on 41st Street in Hell's Kitchen, a mere block away from the newsstand and the glamour of 42nd Street. But nobody ever stole money from this eight-year-old girl as the storefront proprietors looked out for her. Her customers included all the performers on Broadway who bought newspapers and magazines to read their reviews, hot off the press. You, you were eight years old at that time. And I came home, came from school at three o'clock, uh, took charge of the newsstand. My father went home to 41st Street to have his dinner and, and sleep because he worked from five in the morning to two in the night. Actually, the stand was only closed for about three or four hours. But I was never tired. Did you love it at all, or was it just like... I loved everything. I even liked the stand. What kind of people are coming up to you? Who's coming up to you? Very kind. Everybody helped. And um, uh, the, there was a man who had a, a smoke shop there with an Indian, wooden Indian. But he was supposed to look in on me, but he always said, she knows what she's doing. And the box with the cash was there. Nobody stole, ever stole the money, you see. And I had this little apron with the change, and I would give change. The new Amsterdam Theater was built in 1902 and became home of the Ziegfeld Follies. If you want to see how extraordinary 42nd Street once was, before the days of laundry and diarrhea, you can see it today because it was restored to its original Art Nouveau glory in 1997 by Disney, which uses it as its flagship theater in Times Square. It's where the Lion King opened. In the World War I era, there was no neon yet, but a million incandescent light bulbs spelled out the names of stars and ran up and down the facades of theaters, blinking intermittently on marquees and billboards built up to the sky. The Great White Way, the main drag of vaudeville and musical comedy theaters. Next to Jimmy Kelly's saloon, there was a little smoke shop. And it had a wooden Indian, a wooden one standing there. And my father would ask him to keep his eye on me and to help me. But it was never any need to, because everybody was always very kind. Because it, it, it was more of a neighborhood thing than it is now, you see. People knew me, knew my father. And so anyone who came along was working there. People working there on the other side, uh, uh, towards Ninth Avenue, towards Broadway. And they all knew me, they knew my father. And, and uh, there were steady customers all the time. In 1915, a year Fanny remembers most, Ziegfeld Follies included W.C. Fields, Ed Wynn, Leon Errol, and Mae Murray, all to become movie stars, and the great black performer Burt Williams in the cast. They all bought newspapers from her. Like all the actors on the street, they came to Fanny's stand to buy newspapers hot off the press to read their reviews. She vividly remembers Enrico Caruso that year because of the $5 tip he gave her. Caruso and George M. Cohan lived at the Knickerbucker Hotel, which is still there now. Besides the one, do you remember? I do remember Caruso. I had a definite experience with Caruso. Which was? Well, he came with his retinue. He passed by when he was in New York. And, and he came, it was a cold night. It was around five before a performance. But he was walking away from the Metropolitan, which was on 39th Street and 7th. 
and he saw me standing there right at the newsstand. alone. Mm -hmm. My father went to the automat to go to the John and have a, some coffee. I was alone, and he saw he was passed by. Then he came back, and he started pulling out magazines and newspapers, and he gathered the whole armful, and he, he mentioned to someone there, pay her. You know, and it was quite a lot of money, and then he gave me a five dollar bill. Yeah. Uh, so he, they, he, you remember his tip also. Yeah, I do. Fanny lived next to a blacksmith on 41st Street, and her family used a public outhouse and bath outside the tenement. Her brother was a polio cripple. In the 1930s, the law required that newsstands be run by disabled people, so her family put the newsstand under his name. But her favorite place as a child in 1915 was a first edition children's library on 42nd Street. Now you lived on 40... 41st Street off 8th Avenue, 306 West 48. And relative, sort of in poverty in a way. Exactly was poverty. The children's library, which you entered from 42nd Street, which is now just has administration, was just gorgeous. You walked into the first room, you returned your books, and the first room was all lined right up to the top of books. Then you had a little alcove where there were uh, glass and case, bookcases, original editions, very valuable books, but they always opened up the cases yeah. for me because they knew I loved books. New York's red light district then was known as the Tenderloin, mostly below 42nd Street, but it included plenty of ritzy brothels in Times Square. Her parents, who didn't speak English, made her deliver papers to some of them. She didn't like that. Her favorite place to deliver papers was the Clinton Arms, a five-story residence on 42nd Street. And you say that the madams on 43rd Street in the whorehouse. Well, I had a feeling there was something very wrong there. But she tipped you when you went in there in yeah. addition to the papers. A dollar, which is a, a lot. A dollar was good. It's like $20 right. today. Right. Right. Do you remember any of the other whorehouses? No, I don't. I'm but sorry. But you know there were a lot of them. Oh, yes. Yes. The 43rd? This was 43rd, and then 44th, 45th, 46th, up to about 48th, I think. But they seemed sort of fancy in a way, didn't they? I mean, well-dressed uh, To me, they were, but they may not have been, you see. What are your memories of the Clinton Arms? Because I can always get a picture. It, it was a lovely place because as you walked in, it was a curved staircase. There was no elevator, and the balconies were all on the curve of the uh, building. The people were all in the performing arts and some of them were painters. Now on the top floor, as I said, they had at least four or five artist studios with skylight. When you open the doors, you see there was a blaze of light from the skylight. Everything made the whole atrium brighter. Today, in 1984, Fanny Gold takes the M106 bus across 42nd Street, since it is unwalkable for a woman in her late 70s. The last time she tried, her purse was snatched, and though some good Samaritans caught the thief, a cop snapped at her to shut up when filing a report. She's been mugged maybe six times. When was the last time you took a walk down 42nd Street that you can recall? Well, I avoid it if I can. You take a cab or a bus to go no. through. 
I take the bus to go through. What yeah. do you think when you see what, what it looks like now? Of course, it's going to be changed. Well, of course, now you understand it's a historical thing with me. So my whole mind is on the street and trying to figure out which theater was what and which were torn down. And, and I'm discussing it with my son. We've just had some dinner. This was later on. And uh, we're just chatting. And, um, and suddenly, um, he says, what's the matter with you? I mean, this is just an ordinary place. It's Saturday afternoon, and the families with their children are walking through. They're going to the films. I said, he said, even to the porno films, families go. So uh, I said, uh, David, you're a conformist. I'm a nonconformist. We just have different attitudes towards things. But then there was a sound like a pop. And I said, I got frightened. I said, David, that's not a Coca-Cola bottle. And then more shots. They were shots. And then I screamed and I say, David, down! And we dropped. And and, and whistles and uh, and um, squad cars came running and and uh, hospital ambulance were there. And, and suddenly I picked myself up and... Uh, um, Even getting mugged, you say, we were so, each time was a so realistic I never thought experience. of it as dangerous while it, I knew it was dangerous, but I didn't get frightened. You say you felt like you were being filmed or something. Well, no, when on the 42nd <coughs> Street mug, I just it felt as if it couldn't be real. Yeah. In 1984, Atlanta developer John Portman was erecting the Marriott Marquis Hotel. It's a 48-story monolith of concrete and corporate ugliness which replaced the grand old Astor Hotel, also tearing down five theaters, including the original Helen Hayes and the Morosco. The top floor of the atrium attracts suicides like some forlorn bridge. I even knew two people who jumped to their deaths. Here's Fanny's take. I figured it all out. Why do you think the redevelopment What's his name, that Portman man, yeah. and his associates want to destroy the theater district push it out of that whole area. They don't care where it goes. They don't want it because the real estate there is so valuable. And the idea is they, they say they'll leave the nine theaters there, maybe six of the nine, which they will not. There are 14 theaters on that street anyway. 14. But there are nine in question that are oh, landmark. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, the whole idea is to build uh, office buildings there and put a theater in the office building on the main floor or well, who's going to go to a dark street even if it has a lit, a lit foyer it's not the theater and that's the idea they want to destroy the theater because they don't need it they don't need any type of cultural activity all they want to do is take advantage of the of the uh, highly assessed real estate and that's the destruction, not only of the Times Square area, it'll be the destruction of New York City. The Marriott, it's a joke. It's such a terrible piece of architecture. Listen, the one that they ripped down the Helen Hayes print, and, and yeah, Morosco. If you print that, I'll never get a job on Broadway. Again, the, it may not be a Broadway. Yeah. Fanny will now tell the story of her greatest evening in 1915, which occurred behind her newsstand at the American Music Hall at 8th Avenue and 42nd Street, which stood there from 1893 until 1932. Yeah. Well, Eddie came down the stand and he a said... A vaudevillian actor. A vaudevillian actor who had been, just come back from a circuit up and across the country, and he got in the, uh, in the 
he got his uh, job at the music hall. Um, he was a hoofer, singer and dancer. A very pleasant man, around 30 I would say, but he was very nice to me at the stand. Concerned. Concerned and would come down and send me off to the automat for a cup of hot chocolate. And then he said, now listen Fanny, I want you to come tonight and um, be there at 7 o'clock. I don't come on until 7.30. Now, I don't want to look for you, you see. So you get into that seat. Well, when Mama came, I ran home. I washed my face. I combed my hair, put on my red tan, my coat, felt to see if I had my little pouch with the quarters. And then I rushed right out to the automat, and I pulled out my quarters and put them in the little slots clink, clink, and then the doors open. Now, it's always so much fun to see, put my hands in and pull out food. And I stood there right at the counter, eating with the hot chocolate burning my throat. And then I rushed right out, out of the automat, into the American Music Hall, where Betty was waiting, red with rage, and he took my hand, and he pulled me down the aisle, and he threw me across the knees of the people. At the very moment that the house lights went up, and Eddie's music came on. And out he came dancing with his cane in his left hand and his bowler up in the air. And as he came to the center of stage, lights went down, the spotlight came on him. And he looked down, he saw me, and he smiled to me. Then he said, Maestro, stop the music. And the music stopped so quiet, you could hear a pin drop, and he said, ladies and gentlemen, you have a treat coming to you tonight. Tonight I'm going to introduce you to the prettiest and sweetest little lady on 42nd Street. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Fanny. Stand up. The princess of 42nd Street. <laughs> Finally, Fanny Gold, who still lives in the same neighborhood that she was born in, in 1907, has this to say. It's still my street. It's very important in my mind, it's still my street. This is Josh Allen Friedman for Tales of Times Square, The Tapes. Visit our website at blackcracker.fm for photos and extras. We'll see you next week on Old Broadway. <laughs>